0: you have your copy oh sorry Uh, for uh, the children going to um, going to children's worship this morning if you'll meet Miss Rachel and Mr. Jason uh, at the back uh, and the ages are pre-k and kindergarten that are able to go to children's worship so all the children can be dismissed now know that we had many out last Sunday, uh, just traveling with the holidays, and uh, we began a series last Sunday, before we get back into John, uh, for the new year where we're looking at biblical stewardship. And we're asking the question, what, what is biblical stewardship? What's biblical stewardship about? And basically, in a short definition of biblical stewardship, it means to manage what one has entrusted to you. Okay, so to manage what one has entrusted to you. And last week we looked at the foundation for biblical stewardship, and it begins with living according to the will of God. And we looked in Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14 and saw that Paul's prayer for the church of Colossae was that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual or with all spiritual wisdom and understanding Now, the point of that is we we unpacked it all and we spent the entire message walking through and unpacking all of that. And so I won't unpack it this morning. But basically, this is the foundation of biblical stewardship, knowing what God has called us to, how he has called us to live, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, living for him, living for his glory. And that encompasses all of life. If we as believers are to be filled with a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that means that as a believer, the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling me. And it means that I'm in tune with what God is leading me to do because I'm, I'm understanding, I'm discerning God's will. Spiritual wisdom means the Holy Spirit giving me insight. Spiritual understanding then meaning that as I read through God's Word because that, that's how we know God's will for our life, we, we read His word. And as I read through God's word, spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding means I'm understanding and discerning the truth of Scripture and I'm applying it to my daily life. Therefore that becomes a foundation for everything we do. Every decision we make has spiritual implication, has eternal implications. It really really does. Every decision we make is important. Every decision we make is significant. And it matters what we do with our daily life. It matters how we live. And so this morning, that, that, was, that was the foundation for biblical stewardship this morning. I want us to continue biblical stewardship part two, ownership and responsibility. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll flesh out the accountability side of stewardship and and the reward of of biblical stewardship. And so this morning, though, we're going to look at ownership and responsibility. God's ownership, that is, and and man's responsibility in being a steward of all that God has entrusted to us. So this does encompass every area of our lives. So if you found your place in Psalm 8, say amen. Amen. Follow along as I read from verses 1 through 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word. We've already sung this morning of the great mystery of of the Trinity and how you are. Self-sufficient and existent three in one and. Father, you are glorious and you are majestic and your splendor is above the heavens. And this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the the wonderful truth and freedom that's found in this text. As as David sings, praise and just thinks about and considers this profound truth. Lord, open our eyes to see, open our minds to comprehend and our hearts to love your word that we might walk in a manner worthy of you. That we might grow in our responsibility and biblical stewardship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The psalm is attributed to King David. In fact, in the inscription, it, it says something for the choir director on the Getith, a psalm of David. That That is probably an instrument that's used whenever there's this uh, there's this jubilant song or jubilant psalm that's That's played because psalms, if you remember, psalms were uh, were, they were. This was the uh, the hymn book of the Jewish people. This was the hymn book of the Jews. This was where they would come to sing praises to God and to sing laments and to sing the dirge and to just be joyful and jubilant before the Lord. They would sing these psalms. And so this psalm is attributed to King David, David and, and, and he begins by declaring that which his eyes have seen and, and his mind really can't deny. Perhaps he was remembering a night as he was a young shepherd boy when he was out watching over the flock of God at night or watching over the flock at night. And, uh, and, and he looks up in the sky and he sees the stars abundantly. And he pins these words. Or maybe he just reflects back. Or he goes out at night. And he, he looks up and he sees the stars. And is just awed by the, the the grandness of God in creation. How big God is. And we see that in the midst of this text. As he talks about God uh, pointing with his fingers. With your finger you've placed these stars and the moon in, in place. In the midst of... All of this, David says, in the midst of seeing this grandness of creation, he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you, you take care of him. And he has this profound thought that captures him in the midst of this psalm. And it causes him, as he has this profound thought about God, it causes him to just break out in an anthem of praise. So he begins and he ends in the, the same way, O oh Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth, this high note of praise. It's instructive for us this morning as we consider too this breathtaking psalm. As we see what what David saw and what he pinned and what he captured here for us, I, I pray that we would we would see this this morning. We begin with this simple truth. Maybe maybe you would confess this this morning, maybe you would not. It's a simple truth that God is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our praise. Now, maybe you're trying to start the new year out right and and just you're trying to be here and and make a commitment to be here. And you're not so sold yet on the fact that God is worthy of our praise. Or or maybe you would you would affirm that verbally, but but maybe you don't affirm that just physically in your life that every day that God is worthy of our praise. But I want to I want you to just see this morning the reason why God is worthy of. Of our praise, he is worthy of every bit of praise that we can give him. In fact, David begins by saying, "O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In other words, he is declaring there's no place without God's presence in all the earth. Think about it for a minute. You cannot escape the presence of God in all of the earth, in all of his creation. In fact, he is universally present in every place. God is everywhere. There is nowhere that God is not. He is everywhere. He is ever present. He is present in every facet of creation. From the depths of the sea to the heights of the heavens and everywhere in between. God is there. And David is captivated with this thought. And he says, oh, Lord, our Lord, how how majestic is your name in all the earth, everywhere. Your name is majestic. It is it is worthy of praise. Spurgeon in his comments on on this song says he describes it this way. And I I thought it was um, poetic and and, and tremendous and it captured my heart. I, I wanted to share it with you. He says, the miracles of his power await us on all sides. Traverse the silent valleys where the rocks enclose you on either side, rising up like battlements of heaven till you can, you can see but a strip of the blue sky far ahead. In other words, the power and the, the miracles of God just, they ascend straight up beside us as if we're passing through this small, this small window and, and we can look straight up ahead and just see the blue sky and God's power is there with us. He says, you may be the only traveler who has passed through that ravine. The bird may start up affrighted and the moss may tremble beneath the first tread of a human foot. But God is there in a thousand wonders, upholding yon rocky barriers, filling the flower cups with their perfume and refreshing the lonely pines with the breath of his mouth. Descend, if you will, into the lowest depths of the ocean where undisturbed the water sleeps. And the very sand is motionless and unbroken, quiet. But listen, the glory of God is there. Revealing the excellencies in the silent palace of the sea. He says, borrow the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the sea. But God is there. Mount to the highest heaven or dive to the deepest hell. And God is in both. Hymned in everlasting song. Are justified in terrible vengeance. God is there. There is no place where God is not. God is ever present. It's because of this. And this recognition of God's hand. And majestic hand in creation. That he is able to say this. And and to say oh Lord our Lord. How majestic. Is your name in all the earth. In fact he goes on to say. Your splendor. Is above the heavens. You've displayed your blender of splendor above the heaven. In fact, the glory of God cannot be contained even in the heavens. It's above the heavens. This is how glorious and wonderful our God is. Verse two kind of continues this magnificent proclamation of God's supremacy and, and man's inferiority as he sees himself in, in light of God and in creation. And it's somewhat difficult, but but it seems to be speaking of, of God's working through the most weak and helpless of humanity to defeat his enemies. Look at what he says in verse two. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. In other words, he's speaking about those who are dependent on others for their nourishment and they, they are the ones who are quick to trust in God, right? Those helpless ones, those who come to the end of the road, they, they recognize that they really don't have, have it all together. They recognize that really they are in desperate need of trusting in God for their security, for his security and for his help. In another sense, we see really the most unintelligible and unlearned they become the instruments of God's choosing and bringing his enemies to silence. And lest we become prideful and arrogant in our own estimation, we should remember what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, where he says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. Why? So that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. Listen, who began to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification And redemption, so just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in what? The Lord Christ. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he trusts in God. That he recognizes that God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of commanding our complete life's devotion and allegiance That's what David is saying here in this psalm as he sings joyfully praising God. He is saying, I'm giving it all. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We must recognize our own weakness and helplessness without God, especially in light of all of creation. And so this morning I would would ask you, is is your heart at the place of Praising God for his glory this morning. Is your heart at the place of recognizing. How majestic God is. When's the last time you looked at the stars and felt insignificant? We're reminded of God's grace and his mercy toward us. We need God. We need him in our daily lives. Let me tell you, beloved friend, he is worthy of our praise. Praise. God is worthy of everything that you have, that you can bring. In fact, we we see it so clearly that the reason he strikes this high note of praise is because he recognizes God's activity and ownership in all of creation. God owns it all. He recognizes it's God's hand of activity and it's God's ownership in all of creation. That's point two in verses three and four. Look at what he says. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, you see those possessive pronouns there? Your, your heavens, your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, it belongs to God. It's all his. So David strikes this note of praise, recognizing God's activity and ownership. In all of creation, he sees God as the one who is the very creator of the cosmos. He has created everything. The stars, the moon. And it doesn't even say with his strong arm, right? Or with his, with his strong hand, but just with his finger. The work of your fingers. This is the power of God. It's as if it's just mere ease. With which he with which he creates the cosmos, the universe. As I was looking, trying to, we've been watching Star Wars uh, at my house, and my boys have been wanting to to get into Star Wars and uh, and watch the watch the different movies. And so I know there's a lot of different uh, a lot of different schools of thought as to where you begin with the series. You know whether you begin with four, or you begin with one, and I'll leave that for you to discuss. But in the midst of watching Star Wars, one of the things that really kind of just jumped out at me was just the the imagination of of all of the different galaxies. Right. Um, all of the different uh, the, just the vast expanse of space. And if you kind of go and do some research, um, uh, there are scientists currently doing research that that are discovering new galaxies every day. I mean, in fact, the data is so much that's coming in. They call it the data deluge. They they cannot keep up with the amount of data that's coming in. The advances in technology allow us to see more and more every day of just the vast expanse of our universe. Galaxies upon galaxies. Millions of galaxies out there. There are about fifty. Galaxies in our local group, scientists say, uh, and you can look on Google it, Wikipedia, whatever, and find uh, the the list of all the nearest galaxies on the order of on the order of a hundred thousand are in our local supercluster, and there's estimated about a hundred and seventy billion in all of the observable universe. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, scientists tell us. Uh, scientists say that the nearest large galaxy to our milky way is the andromeda galaxy which is some 2.54 million light years away that's a that's a long that's a long way away the nearest giant galaxy is Centaurus a it's 12 million light years away and so he, these new discoveries are being made every day scientists are enamored with the, all of the different information and data that's coming in and it just goes to show us God's vast hand and his creative hand in, in making the cosmos and forming and shaping the cosmos. And while I know David didn't see all of those different galaxies, he looks up and he sees this vast array of stars that he knows his father has pointed out and placed in the heavens. He sees the moon as a fixed body orbiting around the earth, and he, he sees that. And he is amazed and he's captivated by the greatness of God. In fact, as creator and owner over all of the earth and over everything in it, hear what Scripture says about this one who has created the cosmos. Psalm 24.1 is printed on the front of your uh, worship bulletin. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Listen, for he founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers our Psalm 50, 10 and 11. For every beast of the forest is mine, God says. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains. and Everything that moves in the field is mine. Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes on high and, and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. You See that you see the greatness of God. He has created the cosmos, but not only do we see him as creator of the cosmos in verse four, we see him as creator of man. David says, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. These words for man, what what is man and what is the son of man that you think of him, that you take care of him? It, it really speaks to the frailty and the, the weakness and the short span of days of, of a man's life in light of all of creation. And what comes to mind here is the. Charles Schultz comic strip where uh, Charlie Brown is out in the field. I don't remember who he's out there with, but he looks up at the stars and in the midst of looking and gazing at the stars, he turns and says, let's go in and watch television. I'm feeling insignificant. And that the reality is that we ought to feel insignificant when we consider. The majestic power, the glory of God, the vastness of his creation to think about that in light of what is man? What is man that you would take thought of him? That you would care for him? Here's, here's the picture. There's this large kingdom. <coughs> and in the corner of the kingdom, far, far away, there, there's one of the lowly subjects who the king really has no idea of his existence This is the opposite of that. This is saying, what is man that you would take thought of him, that you would remember him, that you would see him and then that you would you would take care of him, that you would seek him out and bring him to yourself. What is man that you would do this? But this is exactly what God does. God of all creation, get the picture. He takes thought. Of his children. He takes care of us. He looks upon us and he remembers us. He sees us. We are not hidden from his sight. He knows everything that's going on in our lives. He knows the struggles we have. He knows the sin we deal with. He knows the the difficult things. Life situations that we're walking through. He knows the heartbreaks that we enter. He knows the joy of living and walking with him. He knows all of these things. And here's what God's word promises. He takes care. Of his people. He takes thought of us. He cares intimately and deeply for us. Even that deep, deep, dark struggle. That no one else knows about he knows and he cares even the emotional turmoil that 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 just rips my life apart he knows about it the inward battle and struggle that we walk through here he takes thought of us he remembers us and he takes care of us <coughs> he is concerned deeply he knows the addictions he knows the struggles Everything he takes thought, this infinitely great God has looked upon his creation and has seen this. What we, from our perspective, see is an infinitely great chasm between God the Creator and, and us, as His Creator, between His holiness and His glory, and, and our sinfulness and our depravity. And we realize this that God still cares. And he seeks out his people whom he has created for a purpose and he takes care of them. It's an amazing picture of God's sovereign creator, of God, a sovereign creator who cares for man, for his creation. You see, God's activity and in, in ownership and all of creation reaches to our very lives and he remembers us, he takes note of us. And he cares for us. And a proper view of man before God is this. We should be awed like David. What is man? What is man but a grain of sand in the hourglass of eternity? Yet scripture tells us that he takes care of us. A proper view of God's ownership and activity in all of creation then leads us thirdly. Leads us to embrace our responsibility, to embrace our responsibility as it should say up there, as image bearers to creation. I had a malfunction this morning in the uh, printing the outline. So, as image bearers to creation, verse 5 says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings are. Angels. This word is Elohim. It's the plural word that's used for deity. You've you've made him a little lower than that. It draws us back to the, the creative hand of God to see his distinction in creating man. In fact, I, I think he shows us two specific distinctions in creating man. When God created us, and as owner of, of all things and creator of, of man, there are two distinctions through which he created. Man that, that differentiate us from everything else. And the first one is that he made man a little lower than the heavenly beings. Verse 5. And it, it it means that he he gave us an honorable position. Notice he didn't say a little higher than the beast of the field. As maybe Darwin would say. He made us a little lower than the angels, the heavenly beings. This is an honorable uh, an honorable charge, an honorable gift. He has crowned him, he says in verse five, and you crown him with glory and majesty and to to crown someone is to give them divine favor and with glory and majesty. It's, it's equivalent to to being a little lower than the heavenly beings. And it points us to this creation language in Genesis chapter one. I mean, that's got to be the text that was on David's mind when he when he pinned this in Genesis 126, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let us uh, and, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So first distinction that he made man a little lower than the heavenly beings. The second distinction in verse six, he he made man as ruler. You see that you make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. And by rule here, he means dominion. You've given him dominion over over everything. You've entrusted responsibility to man. In fact, that's what God did. As the pinnacle of his creation, man being created in his likeness has been given responsibility over creation. And thus we say man was created as the image bearer or to be the image bearer of God to his creation, and man has been given responsibility of ruling over God's creation. Genesis 128 continues that account, and it says, God blessed them and God said to them, here's what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, listen, and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in Genesis 2.15, again, he charges them. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To cultivate and to keep it. Here's the point. You see, God, through creating man in his divine image, distinctly created him in his divine image, he has uniquely given man the responsibility to care for creation, to steward creation. In fact, this psalm teaches us that God has extended his protective care over the rest of creation through man, and that man is uniquely linked to God as the image bearers of his creation. He says you put all things under his feet. What do those all things mean? Well, verses 7 and 8 define all things for us. All the animals. Look at what he says in 7 and 8. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas, all things placing under one's foot. Placing under someone's foot was a symbolic act of superiority over defeated enemy in battle, the uh, the conqueror would put his foot on the throat of the enemy as he's defeated him as a sign of defeat and as a sign of of ruling, as a sign of authority. And that's the picture that man is given. But with the idea that there is an accountability before God. We shouldn't misunderstand that we have unbridled authority over God's creation without any recourse of accountability. We're certainly accountable to God for how we steward and care for what he has entrusted to us as his people created in his image. J.B. Phillips, in his commentary, says in David's day, man's dominion was displayed in in his power over animals, his power to domesticate and tame them and. Turned them to his use. Then he says this today, man's dominion is, is demonstrated in his ability to subjugate the forces of nature. The atom smashers have, have unleashed and harnessed the energy of the universe. The code breakers have unraveled the mysteries of DNA and RNA. Psychologists have explored the workings of the human brain. The marks of man's genius are everywhere despite the fall. You see, God has given the unique responsibility of stewarding his creation to mankind. The question I would ask is, what implications does this have for, for our lives? What implication does it have for you and me today, 21st century, right? In America, where we don't own sheep and oxen, cattle, maybe eat some chickens, but... We don't own all of these other livestock, right? What implication does this have in our lives? Well, here it is. We as image bearers of God are to represent God to the world through exercising dominion over it for God's glory. But since Adam and Eve fell into sin through disobedience, we have failed to be right stewards over creation. And what we've done is we have twisted and we have corrupted our responsibility. We've exercised stewardship and dominion over creation not for God's glory, but for our own glory. And so what areas are we to consider? The answer is we're to consider all of life. Every area of life we are to consider the homes we live in. Let's say first, do we recognize God's ownership even over our Home that we call our home. Do we recognize that God owns everything? Are the homes we live in places of refuge and and nurturing for the glory of God for our children? Are these homes places where God is honored or where God is dishonored? The things that go on inside of the home, what what we view on TV, what we see on the Internet, what we allow to come into that place that we call our home. Our home. Are these things honoring to God? Are they glorifying to God? In other words, are we being good stewards of what God has entrusted to us? Have we exercised stewardship and dominion over creation, over our home, for our own glory or for God's glory? What about the way that we treat our spouse, our children, That God has given to us are these are we stewarding what God has entrusted to us in a way that brings him glory and brings him honor. What about in our finances? Consider the bank that you make withdrawals from and deposits into. How is God honored through what you're through your stewarding of what he has given you? Do you acknowledge that he owns it all? Do you recognize that he's the one who's blessed you with whatever you have? Have you made poor decisions and found yourself in financial bondage because you have been stewarding for your own glory, but not for his glory? You see, it impacts every area of life when we consider. Being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding and. Coming to God and consulting God before we make decisions or or before we just steward things for our own glory and not for his. What about work? Consider the job that God has given you. How are you working in all things for the glory of God? knowing that he has given you relationships with those whom you work with, that maybe no other Christian is going to be able to reach that person because God has uniquely placed you in a position of authority or in a position of subjugation to a particular boss. And you, as a divine image bearer, me, us, as divine image bearers of God, listen, we are charged with the responsibility of stewarding Stewarding the grace of God. Stewarding the mysteries of the gospel. Being faithful to proclaim God's word and to live faithfully for his glory, to be joyful in our life, in our dealing, to be honest, to be integrity, to be ethical, to be filled with the love and knowledge of God so that we impact others for the glory of God. We are stewarding even relationships. Get the picture. It is everything. Everything. God is owner. Man is responsible. What about in our gifts? I mean, the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Believer, are you using your gifts to serve God's kingdom? Are you being a good steward of what God has blessed you with and employing it in serving others? Has God uniquely gifted you to serve him, but yet you're maybe thinking about sitting out or maybe burying that talent for a little while because you're worn out or, or because you're tired? Are we, are we stewarding the very gifts that God has placed within the body of believers that we would use it to build up the kingdom of God and edify the saints? When we consider the stewardship that God has entrusted to us, I, I pray these things will be at the forefront of our mind. We'll consider how are we how are we being faithful, godly, righteous, living and pursuing biblical stewards of all that God has entrusted to us? Pastor Drew read from first Peter chapter four, and I, I want to highlight verses 10 and 11 for us. As each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to introduce the Christ connection here in this psalm. The dominion of man over creation that was corrupted through sin has been redeemed and restored through Christ. And I, I want to show you that. I want to show you that by asking the question, why why the need for a sermon on biblical stewardship this morning? Or, or why the need for this series on biblical stewardship? I, I think because we get so blinded, we begin thinking it's all about us and we lose this, this wonderful perspective, this profound perspective that Paul, uh, that, that David has given us here in this psalm. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, that, that it's not about us, but it's about him. Yet we we get so blinded and we begin thinking that it is about us. And thus the problem of corruption and sin causes us to twist. The stewardship that God has given us and to twist it from his glory to our own Glory. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, the writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 8, making the application of this psalm to the person and fulfillment of Christ. There's the messianic fulfillment in Psalm chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Listen as I read. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him Are the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Listen, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now. We do not yet see all things subjected to him. Verse nine, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The writer of Hebrews quotes this psalm and makes application to Christ saying that it's Christ who has restored man's ability to rightly steward God's creation. I want you to see the picture that he that, that, that I want you to see that here in this text, that it's Christ because of his suffering and death, crowned with glory and honor, that he would come down, that he would be like us and that he would he would restore. And make perfect that image that was marred and corrupted. In the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And so this is Christ redeeming and restoring this image of of biblical stewardship of us being the image bearers to creation of God's glory. I submit to you, this happens by the role of the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, seeing the foundation of biblical stewardship and living according to the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And and through the reading of God's word and praying for God's Holy Spirit's illumination, we can be godly, biblical stewards of creation. We can be the ones who live righteously for the glory of God. And because of that, we can end on a high note as David began and ended on a high note in verse nine, where he says, "O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We, too, can be filled with awe and wonder. When we walk as faithful biblical stewards, get this, we will see God do amazing things. We will see God do things that we, that are beyond our greatest imagination. You will see God stretch the finances. You will see God honor the, the, the biblical model of parenting in the home. You will see God exalt and restore the marriages that have, have walked in, in, in struggle and in trial. You'll see God break these addictions and the chains and bondage of sin. When we walk as faithful biblical stewards seeking to know his will and walking by His Holy Spirit. And this will be for the glory of God. We would be able to say, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I want to ask you this morning to consider God's ownership of everything. He owns it all. Psalm 24, one. Everything it is. His. Consider. Your responsibility, my responsibility of what he has entrusted to us from the precious children to the relationship with our wife, to the financial blessings he's given us, to the homes we live in, everything, everywhere in between, to cultivating even the ground. Consider what God has given us and the responsibility that we have. And I want to ask you this this morning to close with this question. What changes need to occur In my life. In order to be faithful and to be found as a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to me. I want to ask you this morning, consider that in a time of prayer. Consider what needs to change, what needs to be given to him, what needs to be surrendered, what needs to be moved from the category of my own glory to God's glory you consider that this morning, I want to invite you to ask God to give you the strength to relinquish that and give it to him. Surrender it to him and live for God's glory. Listen, there is great joy. There is great joy in walking according to the will of the father. Knowing the will of God and walking in it, there is no greater joy. There is a reciprocal joy, in fact, where we experience the joy of the father and and he experiences the joy of of us as. His sons and daughters in creation. So I want to invite you this morning to do that. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, you can respond in a couple of ways. You can you can stay right there and you can just you can pray before the Lord. or You can even come forward and kneel down at the steps and say, God, we're giving this to you. The husband and wife, we're we're giving this to you or individually. I'm, I'm giving this to you. I want to be a, a faithful steward. You respond as the Lord leads this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we confess, Lord, that we all have areas of needed growth and we all have areas of needed surrender. Every one of us in here this morning, if we would point the finger, we would have three or four pointing back at us. And so, Lord, we know that we we don't escape your ever watchful eye. Oh, but God, we know that you care. You remember us, you care for us. You love us. And so, God, give us the strength to be faithful stewards, to depend upon your Holy Spirit, to live in a manner worthy of you, God. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory for it, all the praise, all the honor. For we declare, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Would you stand this morning?